upon these journeys of discovery, as he would call them, and indeed they were to him real voyages through a marvelous land, he would sometimes be accompanied by the slim, fair-haired court pages, with their floating mantles and gay fluttering ribbons. But more often he would be alone, feeling, through a certain quick instinct, which was almost a divination, that the secrets of art are best learned in secret, and that beauty, like wisdom, loves the lonely worshipper. Many curious stories were related about him at this period. It was said that a stout burgomaster who had come to deliver a florid oratorical address on behalf of the citizens of the town had caught sight of him kneeling in real adoration before a great picture that had just been brought from Venice, and that seemed to herald the worship of some new gods. On another occasion, he had been missed for several hours, and after a lengthened search had been discovered in a little chamber in one of the northern turrets of the palace, gazing as one in a trance at a Greek gem carved with the figure of Adonis. He had been seen, so the tale ran, pressing his warm lips to the marble brow of an antique statue that had been discovered in the bed of the river on the occasion of the building of the stone bridge, and was inscribed with the name of the Bithynian slave of Hadrian. He had passed a whole night in noting the effect of the moonlight on a silver image of Endymion. All rare and costly materials had certainly a great fascination for him, and in his eagerness to procure them, he had sent away many merchants, some to traffic for amber with the rough fisherfolk of the North Seas, some to Egypt to look for that curious green turquoise which is found only in the tombs of kings, and is said to possess magical properties, some to Persia for silken carpets and painted pottery, and others to India to buy gauze and stained ivory moonstones and bracelets of jade, sandalwood and blue enamel, and shawls of fine wool. But what had occupied him most was the robe he was to wear at his coronation, the robe of tissued gold, and the ruby-studded crown, and the scepter with its rows and rings of pearls. Indeed it was of this that he was thinking to-night, as he lay back on his luxurious couch watching the great pinewood log that was burning itself out on the open hearth. The designs, which were from the hands of the most famous artists of the time, had been submitted to him many months before, and he had given orders that the artificers were to toil night and day to carry them out and that the whole world was to be searched for jewels that would be worthy of their work. He saw himself in fancy standing at the high altar of the cathedral, in the fair raiment of a king, and a smile played and lingered about his boyish lips, and lit up with a bright luster his dark woodland eyes. After some time he rose from his seat, and leaning against the carved penthouse of the chimney, looked round at the dimly lit room. The walls were hung with rich tapestries representing the triumph of beauty. A large press, inlaid with agate and lapis lazuli, filled one corner, and facing the window stood a curiously wrought cabinet with lacquer panels of powdered and mosaicked gold, on which were placed some delicate goblets of Venetian glass and a cup of dark-veined onyx. Pale poppies were broidered on the silk coverlet of the bed, as though they had fallen from the tired hands of sleep and tall reeds of fluted ivory bear up the velvet canopy, from which great tufts of ostrich plumes sprang like white foam to the pallid silver of the fretted ceiling. A laughing narcissus in green bronze held a polished mirror above its head. On the table stood a flat bowl of amethyst. Outside he could see the huge dome of the cathedral, looming like a bubble over the shadowy houses, and the weary sentinels pacing up and down on the misty terrace by the river. Far away in an orchard, a nightingale was singing. A faint perfume of jasmine came through the open window. 
He brushed his brown curls back from his forehead, and taking up a lute, let his fingers stray across the cords. His heavy eyelids drooped, and a strange languor came over him. Never before had he felt so keenly, or with such exquisite joy, the magic and mystery of beautiful things. When midnight sounded from the clock tower, he touched a bell, and his pages entered and disrobed him with much ceremony, pouring rose water over his hands and strewing flowers on his pillow. A few moments after that they had left the room, he fell asleep. And as he slept, he dreamed a dream, and this was his dream. He thought that he was standing in a long, low attic, amidst the whir and clatter of many looms. The meager daylight peered in through the grated windows and showed him the gaunt figures of the weavers bending over their cases. Pale, sickly-looking children were crouched on the huge crossbeams. As the shuttles dashed through the warp, they lifted up the heavy battens, and when the...